Amen. If you have a Bible this morning, uh, turn with me to the Gospel of John. And let's go to chapter 21, verses 15 through 25. And I want you to pay attention uh, to the topic this morning of our sermon, the restoration of Peter. But as we get into the message concerning the restoration of Peter, uh, let's look at our own lives. Look at the things that we do, the things that we've done. Sometimes we get involved into some deep sins. And sometimes the enemy speaks to our hearts and, and to our minds, and, and he says, Bob, uh, God's not going to forgive you anymore. And yet we know that's a lie from the enemy. You see, God loves us so much, he will forgive us of our sins. And then the beautiful part of it is not only does he forgive us of our sins, but then he restores us. I've seen marriages been restored. I've seen lives been restored. We see people that have been in prison, incarcerated, and God not only saves them, but he restores them. Those of you that know Pastor Mark Massiel, my good friend, little did we know when we would visit him in Tehachapi State Prison uh, back in 1980. And Mark would come running down from, uh, you know, his, his cell, and he'd come down to the chapel. And he would partake of the Calvary Chapel uh, teachings. We would go there uh, once a month. And then there was another team that went in another part of the month, but Mark was always there. And not only did God forgive him, but God restores him. And he comes back to Southern California from Tehachapi State Prison, and then God puts him in ministry. Mark becomes the, the head chaplain of Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Unheard of. Mark's given a vehicle. And he's got the freedom to go into prisons and jails and, and just to proclaim the gospel. That's the restoration of God. Not only does he forgive you, but he restores you afresh and anew. That's the life that we're going to see here quickly concerning Peter. It seems that Peter was always in trouble somehow, some way. And we're going to mention it. Take us back. When Peter denies the Lord three times, here God is going to ask him uh, three times, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? The response is yes. We find restoration. And we know uh, historically, we know by uh, the epistles and such, Peter was used mightily of God. But he needed to come to this place of forgiveness and, and restoration. And so this morning, if you're here and, you know, you're thinking, God can't forgive me. Yes, he can. Well, maybe he's going to forgive me, but he can't restore me. Yes, he can. That's God's love. That's God's love. Let me give you a little bit of introduction here. We come to the final message in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 15 through 25. The restoration of Peter, a very a public restoration of Peter's three denials of Jesus. Remember, Jesus is arrested. There's this mock trial before the Sanhedrin, the religious group at the time. And then he goes before Pilate. And then we know that Peter's asked, 
you are with this Galilean. And Peter said, no. And so three times he denies the Lord. Listen to the word denial. The word denial means to disown somebody. This word is used in the Bible to express one's unfaithfulness, first of all, to God or to the Messiah, which is Christ. It's a verbal, it's a verbal time when you say, I don't know that man. Peter denied the Lord. A person may deny God in word or deed or action. This was Peter. Denial is a word often involves denying or rejection in a relationship such as having knowledge of God, having knowledge of Christ. That was Peter. If you're taking notes back in John chapter 13, verses 36 through 38, Jesus predicted, Jesus prophesied that Peter would deny him three times. Peter said, I will follow you anywhere, Lord. Peter said, I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus said, most assuredly, Peter, or I assure you, Peter, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And Peter did that exactly. Mark this down. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verses 66 through 72, it tells us that Peter, he cursed and he swore. When someone in the crowd said, you're that Galilean, they recognized this speech. You are with this man, this Jesus of Nazareth. The rooster crowed. Peter's heart must have sank. Peter's heart must have just agitated at that time. Thinking, Jesus said, the rooster would crow. In fact, in Mark's gospel, it says that as Peter thought about it, listen, Peter went out and he wept. Peter went out and he wept. I don't know if you've ever been to that place where uh, you've sinned greatly and all sin is sin. But you get to that place where you sin greatly and it's just driving you up a tree. And then you start to hear the voices. God's not going to forgive you, Bob. God's not going to forgive you. And don't, don't even think of being restored. That's a lie from the pit of hell. God loves us so much. When Peter denies the Lord three times, Jesus already had it in his mind, already have it, had it in his heart. Peter, I'm going to restore you. And here's the time now. And so I want you to see the restoration of Peter. We can fall to this place ourselves. Now, when we speak about the Greek language, because that's what the New Testament is written in. When we speak about the Greek word love, there's three basic words that are used to describe love. Jesus is going to use the word agapeo. The word agapeo is divine love. The word agapeo is unconditional love. That's the kind of love that Jesus speaks to about Peter. But then you have uh, the other type of love. It's called phileo. And that's what Peter's going to be using in response to Jesus' agape love. When you think of the word phileo, the first thing that pops into your mind is Philadelphia. 
And the word Philadelphia uh, it comes from the word phileo, and it's brotherly love. It's being fond of somebody. It's being affectionate towards somebody. It's not agape. In fact, Peter's describing this to Jesus. We are friends, aren't we? You see, Jesus, yes, he is my friend, but he's more than that. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. And so as we get into this, three times Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I'm fond of you. That must have hurt Jesus' heart. But Peter couldn't bring it to uh, agape because he had denied the Lord. Now watch this as we get into verse 15. Uh, John chapter 21. So when they had eaten breakfast, we're reverting back to last week, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? If you'd like to write in your Bibles, write the word agape. Do you agape me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. The word is phileo. You know that I'm fond of you, Lord. And he said to him, feed my lambs. I love the breakdown of words here. So after last week's teaching, the enormous catch of fish, we spoke about 153 fish that were caught. Those were blessings from God. And so Jesus has one more word to Peter, the spokesman, the leader of the group, but also the one always in trouble. Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Is he speaking about uh, the fishing? Do you love me more than these? Is he speaking about the disciples? Do you love me more than this trade of fishing? You see, Peter had been called away from his fishing job. He was called into the ministry. It's interesting again. Jesus uses the word agape. Peter, do you divinely love me? Peter, do you unconditionally love me? And I hurt when I read this because we respond so many times likewise. Peter's response, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He uses the word phileo. Lord, you know that I'm very fond of you. Lord, you know, I have much affection towards you. Lord, you know you're my friend. That's not what the Lord was looking for. But Jesus responds because that's the first step towards restoration. And so then he says, Peter, feed my lambs. Listen to the Greek. Shepherd. The word to feed is to graze. Shepherd my lambs, the babes in Christ. Jesus said, if you love me, Peter, serve my people. And Peter uh, becomes a great servant of the Lord. If you love me, Peter, serve my people. It's Peter's call to ministry, not, not to fishing. That's why he said, do you love me more than this? Or do you want to continue to fish? Now you need to come. And we shared last week, you're going to be a fisher of men. Look at the second word that's used in verse 16. And he said to him a second time, 
Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says the second time now. Again, it's the word shepherding. Tend to my sheep. And so Jesus again says to Peter the second time, do you love me? Again, the word is agape. Do you agape me? Do you divinely love me? Peter, do you love me with unconditional love? But Peter responds the second time, church. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Again, Peter uses the word phileo. Lord, you know I'm very fond of you. Lord, you know I have much affection for you. Lord, you know we're friends. It goes back to the same word that he used earlier. Jesus is not angry. Jesus is restoring Peter. Jesus responds a second time. Okay, tend my sheep. The Greek again is shepherd my sheep, graze my sheep, take them out to the pasture. Now, not just the babes, but the mature lambs as well as the young lambs. What a beautiful picture of the restoration. Does Peter grasp it? Does Peter see it? Is, is Peter receiving it? I don't know the answer. But let's continue. Look at the third time, verse 17. And Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, a son of Jonah, do you love me? And, and Peter at this time, he's frustrated. The Bible says that Peter grieved. He was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Typical Peter. And Jesus said to him, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You're the son of God, the savior of the world. You know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, okay, feed my sheep. Look at the process of restoration. Jesus asked Peter the third time, the final time, uh, Peter, do you phileo me? Uh-oh, the word changes now. Jesus reverts back to Peter. Jesus stoops down to Peter's level. That's how much Jesus loves him. <laughs> I love this. Peter was grieved in his heart. Jesus says to him, Peter, do you phileo me? Coming down to Peter's level, uh, Peter, are you just fond of me? Uh, Peter, are you just affectionate towards me? Peter, are we just friends? Peter was grieved, rightfully so. The word is saddened by Jesus' word phileo. He knew, but that's what Peter was using. Peter was using phileo. Or was Peter grieved, saddened because it's the third time that Jesus asked Peter. There has to be frustration. Was he aware that uh, he was being restored? I'm not positive here. You can go either way. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, you know all things. <laughs> you know that I love you. Peter, Peter reverts back to phileo. You know that I love you. You know I'm very fond of you, Jesus. You know I, I have great affection uh, towards you, Jesus. Jesus, aren't you and I friends? And I have to respond right here. 
No, Peter. No, Peter. Jesus is not just your friend. Peter, Jesus is your Lord and your Savior. Peter's your Messiah. And I hope and pray this morning that we can all say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And I can truly agape him because he first agaped me. How do I know this? How do you know this? Because Jesus went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross, and as he was ready to give up the ghost, what does he say? Father, forgive them. That included us. Forgive them, for they know not of what they do. You see, Jesus could forgive Peter. Jesus could restore Peter because Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Jesus is God. I want you to flip back with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 19 through 24. You see, as we studied the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John is so important to me. The Gospel of John gives us the deity of Jesus Christ. The Gospel of John shows us that Jesus is God. He is deity. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, Jesus says, you've seen me. My father and I are one. He told that to Philip. But in the Godhead bodily, Colossians 2, 9, it's Christ. It's Christ. And so now, look what he taught here as we went through this couple months back. In John 14, look at verse 19. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you will live also. Listen to the promise there, church. He's talking to his disciples. He's, he's speaking to the body of Christ. Because I live, Jesus says, and because you have accepted me, you will live also eternal life. Look at verse 20. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and I in you, and you in me. After Jesus' resurrection, they would know. After Jesus' resurrection, and there's a 40-day post-resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, over 500 saw of the risen Christ. And so right here, the deity of Christ is being exposed. And we're going to get further into this in verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. The word is agapeo. And he who loves me, the word is agapeo will be loved by my Father. The word is agapeo again. And I will love him, agapeo. And here's the word disclosure, and manifest myself to them. God would disclose his deity to his disciples, as he has disclosed his deity to us. In verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Great question there. Jesus answered and he said to him, if anyone loves me, the word is agape again, if anyone loves me unconditionally, he will keep my word and my father will love him. 
agape him. And we will come uh, to him and make our home, our abode with him. That's relationship, church. That's not religion. That's a relationship. Only through Christ. I can have this relationship. You can have this relationship. That's why there's change in my life. That's why there's change in your life. Religion will never change you. In fact, religion will frustrate you. Religion will put you into bondage. But you need a relationship. A relationship. I know him. He knows me. I know his father because I know his son. And it's just such a beautiful, beautiful relationship. All because of agape. Look at verse 24. He concludes it. He who does not love me, he who does not agape me, does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Remember when Philip had come to Jesus and he said, show us the Father. And it will be sufficient. It will be enough. Jesus looks at Philip. And he says, Philip, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You have seen me. You have seen the Father. My Father and I, we are one. Can you see the religious sect? Can you see the Pharisees, the scribe? They're picking up stones. They're ready to plummet Jesus. They want to kill Jesus. That's the kind of love. This is the kind of love that restores. This is the kind of love that forgives. I'm a sinner just like you. God forgives me. God forgives you. Peter not only was forgiven, but he was also restored. Let's go back to our text. Look at verse 18. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, Jesus is addressing Peter. You girded yourself and you walked where you wished, but when you are old, he's predicting, he's prophesying how Peter would die. Listen, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And so we look at verse 18 now. Not only has Peter been restored, not only has Peter been forgiven, but here, so beautifully, Jesus lets Peter know what's in store for him in the future. Peter would die of crucifixion. We know historically that Peter was crucified like Jesus. We also know historically that when Peter realized he was going to be crucified, he says, I don't deserve to die like my Lord, and they crucified him upside down. Jesus died right side up. And, and crucifixion is a horrible death. But Peter, restored, forgiven, and then restored, and then used mightily by God. And Peter knows he's going to die at the cross there in verse 18. Spend some time there on your own. Look at verse 19 now. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. Speaking about Peter. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Follow me. It's the same words that are given to you, same words that are given to me. 
Uh, you want to fish? Then go fishing. But if you want to deny yourself now, pick up your cross and follow me. In verse 19, I have to say this. Peter knowingly or unknowingly, he receives great encouragement from Jesus. Jesus tells Peter, follow me, follow me, regardless of the cost. You see, I don't know if Peter's quite grasping the whole thing, but I know when we get to the book of Acts chapter 2, Peter's totally a different man. The power of the Holy Spirit comes upon the 120. Peter's the, the first spokesman. He goes out and he says, they're not drunk with wine. It was 9 o'clock in the morning. They were all speaking in tongues. But this was what the prophet Joel spoke in chapter 2. Beautiful picture when you begin to see that. This little quotation, follow me, Peter, it's not about the enormous catch of 153 fish. It's not about your fishing business, you and your brothers, and your dad. But it's about being fishers of men. We shared that last week. I want you to write down this text. I want you to study it. I love this. In Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. Jesus and the rich man, the rich young ruler. Listen to what Jesus tells him. I'm going to paraphrase this. But the rich young ruler had asked Jesus, what shall I do uh, to inherit uh, life eternal? Jesus says, do you know the commandments? Yes, Lord. All these I have kept uh, from a young age. I did not commit adultery. I did not steal. I did not lie. I did not defraud anybody. I honored my father and my mother. I have kept these since my youth. But Jesus knew the rich young ruler's heart. That was not his problem. His problem was finances. His problem uh, was money. His problem was greed because Jesus tells him, I want you to sell everything, give it to the poor, pick up your cross and follow me. Jesus looking right at him. He came and he asked, what must I do to enter eternal life? Have you kept the commandments? Yeah. He even described some of the commandments. He says, okay. Now, for you, this is an individual thing. He's not asking the rest of us. He's asking this rich young ruler because he knew what his problem was. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Pick up your cross follow me. You know, those same words are the words that Jesus gave to me. Those same words are the words that Jesus gave to you. I'm no different than you. Peter's no different than you. God calls each one of us. Leave whatever you're doing, especially that sinful nature. Pick up your cross, Bob. Follow me now. Pick up your cross and put your name in there and follow me now. You see the cross, listen, the cross is a symbol of death. I come to Christ 
the old man has to die. You come to Christ, the old man has to die. Ladies, you come to Christ, the old woman has to die. Good example, ladies, Mary Magdalene, a woman that I love so much in Scripture, a woman with seven demons, and Jesus cast those demons out. She followed him. In fact, remember when she saw the risen Christ, she wrapped her arms around him. I'm not letting you go. I'm not letting you go. You're the best thing I ever found. I need you, Lord. But see, Mary Magdalene had a work to do, just like Peter. Each one of us are to pick up our own cross and follow me. Listen, I've always thought of Simon of Cyrene. We're told historically that he was a big black man from Cyrene. I say a big black man because they singled him out. Hey, you. Yeah, big boy over there. Come here. I want you to help this guy carry the cross. Jesus couldn't do it anymore. What did Simon go through? Puts Jesus' cross all bloody. The blood is running on Simon of Cyrene. Now, he picked up Jesus' cross, but after, he had to pick up his own cross. Simon was never the same, never the same. Peter, you've been restored. Peter, you've been forgiven. Pick up your cross and follow me. The rich young ruler couldn't do it. The Bible says he put his head down, and he walked away sorrowful. He could not let go. Let's go back to our text. Now look at verse 20. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on, on his breast at the Last Supper, and he said, Lord, who is the one to betray you? Now he's kind of taking it back a few steps, <laughs> back to John chapter 13 at the Last Supper. But here in verse 20, this is John the Beloved speaking of himself in the third person. John often did that. In his own gospel, John loved to write of himself that Jesus loved him. Here he boasts that uh, he leaned on Jesus' his, his breast at the Last Supper. And Peter asked, who is the one to betray you? And so the reference, listen to this, takes us back to uh, John chapter 13, verses 24 through 25, at the Last Supper, and John had asked them, who it is, Lord? In other words, who's going to betray you? We know now that it was Judas Iscariot, but Jesus says, when I dip the bread in the dish and whom I give it to, it would be him. It was Judas Iscariot. And if you go back, they didn't even know it was him. They didn't recognize that it was him. You see, they were asking questions, but the Spirit of the Lord was not directly speaking to them yet. But listen to verse 21 now. You see, Peter had an agenda, and it shows in verse 21. Peter, seeing him, uh, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And he's pointing to John. What about this man? And let's use our vernacular today. What about this guy? What about this guy? Peter seems to be more concerned, listen to this, about John. Listen to Peter. You said I'm going to die with my hands stretched out. 
Peter would die a crucifixion. Uh, that's what Jesus prophesied. We shared it in verse 18 that we read previously. And Peter now says, what about John? <laughs> what about John? Uh, stay with me on this. Sounds like a lot of us, doesn't it? The Lord speaks to you. The scriptures speak to you. The Holy Spirit speaks to you. Well, what about him? What about him? Or what about her? Aren't we so quick? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, judge not lest you be judged, but we're so quick. What about you? We're just like Peter. <laughs> we're just like Peter. Peter was like a schoolboy. Peter like a schoolgirl. He did it. She did it. You guys know. We all did that back in the day. Maybe we still do it and we shouldn't be. Look at verse 22. Jesus said to him, speaking about Peter, watch this, speaking about John, if I will that he remains till I come. What is that to you, Peter? You follow me. Are you worried about John? Jesus slightly rebukes Peter. What if I choose that John remain until my second coming? What is that to you, Peter? My take here. Peter, I just restored you three times. Peter, mind your own business and pick up your cross and follow me. That's what he told him in verse 19. But we're just like Peter. We're just like Peter. God's doing something in you. God's doing something in me. And then I look over, well, what about him? That's exactly what Peter did. Look at verse 23. Because rumors took off after this. Then this saying, what Jesus had just said in verse 22, if I will that he remain till I come, was it to you? So this is saying, went out among the brethren that this disciple, speaking of John, would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But this is what he said. If I will that he remain till I come, what is it to you? The conditional word if is important. And so notice how easy the rumor mill gets started. You know, when I read this years ago, you have to chuckle inside because we've had rumors in this church. And some of you, what churches you came from, you've had rumors there. That's how people operate in the church. They're good at rumors. Well, I heard she used to chew her gum on this side. Now she chews it on that side. You know what I'm talking about. The rumor did spread among uh, the community of believers that this disciple would not die. Speaking of John, historically we know this. And so in the early church, this was taking place. Now speaking of John, the beloved, but Jesus did not say. He said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you, Peter? So Jesus here has spoken hypothetically about such a possibility. But the rumors ran. The rumors ran. Look at verse 24. And now, John is getting ready to close up. 
this beautiful gospel. This is the disciple, speaking of himself, who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony, it's true. John the Beloved is the one writing the gospel of John, and the testimony that John wrote in these 21 chapters is true. It's 100% truth. You see, I don't have a problem with the Bible. There's a lot of people that do. We have from Genesis to Revelation. We have 39 Old Testament books, and we have 27 New Testament books. Well, Pastor Bob, that's an old book. Come on, we can't rely on an old book. And yet when you go to college and you go to school, you study Shakespeare. You study the great philosophers at the time. You get math books and you go back to the origins. You go back to the history or whatever it might be. And, you know, we, we rely on old books. Oh, but this is the Bible. Well, what's wrong with it? The problem is I don't like when it speaks to me truth. I don't like when it says I'm a sinner in this area. That's when they don't like it. And so I love what John is saying here. He says, we know, and you know, the testimony I bring forth, it's 100% true. And then he concludes here in verse 25, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even uh, the world itself could not uh, contain the books that would be written. Amen. So be it. He finishes the gospel of John. And so John writes here in verse 25, even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. God's works have no end. And the events are to continue as we obey Jesus' command to follow him. Pick up your cross and follow Jesus. That's what we read out of Mark chapter 10. You see, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. We have a three-and-a-half-year span of Jesus' life. According to some of the scholars that I've read, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, three-and-a-half-year span, you have approximately 35 miracle signs and wonders. Was that all Jesus did? No. Oh, there was so much more. So much more. But what we have, what we have, is enough. Well, what if there was a third letter to the Corinthians? What are you looking for? What if there was another gospel besides Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? What are you looking for? We're looking for loopholes. That's what man's looking for. Well, maybe in the third letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, hey, fornication's okay. Adultery's okay. Drunkenness is okay. I told you. That's how people think. As we come to the conclusion, listen, John, the gospel of John, John was not addressing the Jews. He was not addressing the Gentiles, per se. He was not addressing the Greeks, but John was addressing the world, the universal call. The gospel of John was the last gospel after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And finally, John, John's purpose of writing to the world, that Jesus is the Christ, the Christos. 
that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the anointed one, that Jesus is God, the incarnate God. According to John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word put on flesh, that's Christ. God in the flesh, deity. Jesus said, the Father and I are one. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What more do we want? And so bottom line, as we close uh, the Gospel of John, we're free moral agents. We have choice. I can believe the Gospel of John is true. It's real. Or I can still sit there and say, well, I don't believe it. That, that's your prerogative. But the Scriptures speak for themselves. 